Welcome to episode three of the Paramedic Podcast. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've delved into mental health, post-traumatic stress disorder, and most importantly, post-traumatic growth and how it affects us as paramedics. A strong message I want to get out to anyone listening to this podcast, paramedic or not, is that trauma and being exposed to it does not need to be something that cripples you. In fact, it can be something that allows you to reprogram your thinking, to grow, and to change your perspective on life as you know it. Often as paramedics, we think that jobs we attend will always be someone else, and often they are, until they aren't. This is a story of a paramedic and a father who went to his son. This is a story of how a paramedic went to his worst nightmare. This is the story of how a paramedic overcame the worst job imaginable and came to me to tell his son's story. Today we are going to tell Flynn's story, a son, a brother, a friend, and a young boy who gave life to five people and changed the lives of many. A young boy who touched many lives through his own, and a young boy whose father wants his story to be told to share how his life can and has made a difference. This story is one of loss, grief, love, life and growth. A story that shows the strength of this beautiful family and a story that proves that even in the worst times, you can rise up and find meaning. This episode will be raw and real and will most likely trigger you or bring out emotions in you, so please listen in a safe place and be prepared for what you're about to listen to. This episode will be confronting, particularly for people who have experienced the death of their own child so listener discretion is strongly advised. Again, anything discussed on this podcast is unedited and all opinions and views are our own and not in collaboration with or a reflection of the organisation in which we work. This is just a forum to educate, support and connect people with interests in the topics we discuss. So today we're going to talk to Troy. So Troy is an advanced care paramedic too and he works in a coastal town in Queensland. Troy's been practicing as an ACP2 for 15 years in January, and Troy and I worked together in the same region for about two years. So Troy, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi everyone, um, my name's Troy. I've been a paramedic for 15 years. Prior to that, I worked in the disability field for about 14 years, um, and we've settled in little old Harvey Bay. And, um, yeah, I'll introduce the characters we're going to talk about. Yeah, so often uh, we go to families and we can disconnect and uh, sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's our family and sometimes it's the ones we love. And that's what happened to Troy. So on the 16th of March this year, Troy and his family's lives would, would change forever. So, um, Troy, do you want to introduce your family and, and sort of tell us what yeah. happened on that day? So, I've been married for 17 years. My wife's name's Sarah. I have a daughter whose name's Morgan. She's 18. And the star is Flynn, and he's 12. So, on the 16th, um, my daughter just recently left home to go to uni down on the Gold Coast. So she was out of home for about four weeks. 
and I was on a night shift and my boy and my wife were at home and my world turned upside down. So basically I was on night shift and we got called to a hanging. And it was my address and my brain just went, that's not right. Comms must have put in the wrong address or, you know. So I immediately went to that house thinking I was going to get waved down by a neighbour or a stranger. And as I came down my street, I noticed a police officer going through my front door. So we'll just take a step back a little bit. Um, My wife was home with my son. He went for a shower. She was sitting down watching TV, and there was only the two of them at home. So I was in the shower for 10, 10 minutes, and she thought, no, it's only the two of us. I'll watch a bit more TV. And then probably after 15, 20 minutes, she thought, hot water's going to run out shortly. I'll go, go get him. And he didn't respond to her calling out. So she went into the bathroom and found him. And... That's where our nightmare started. So Sarah got him down, immediately ran outside screaming, called triple zero. And luckily for us, we've been living in our street for 20 years and we have wonderful neighbours and our neighbours came and helped. And, um, and then at that point, that's when I got the call and, um, and went. Unfortunately, we were first on scene. So, once we understood what was actually going on, um, my wife was outside on our uh, veranda, obviously distressed as you could imagine, and I just said, where? And she said, ensuite, and I went into the house, I knew where the ensuite was, and um, he was laying in the bathroom. Um, I switched on to work mode for about 10 seconds, moved him to the bedroom area for more space, went onto my knees to sort of start that process, and luckily one of our neighbours is a midwife, and she politely said to me, you need to look after your wife, we've got resources coming. You let us look after him. And it took me a moment to process that because you you go into work mode. Yeah. And I knew I wouldn't be able to function in work mode. Mm-hmm. So the brain ticked over and I thought, no, nah, I can still hear my wife. I need to go comfort her and do that. So I, I went out to the front veranda. Um, as I'm doing that, my, my partner was like a pack horse going gear into the place and um, picked up the radio and I think all I said or yelled is, it's my son, Sydney Everard. Yep. And they did. They did. They did. So what happened with this story is what's a little bit different is I ended up with... 12 paramedics, six cops, 
our front street looked like a war zone. And um, we, we were just in a daze, Sarah and I. People were coming in and out. Everyone that came into that house went there to help them, and they did. But we needed to, to step back, you know. Um, about halfway through the recess, I'm still in uniform, and um, Sarah just said to me, you're, you're now my husband, not the paramedic. Go change your shirt. And, you know, we, we wear a uniform when we do shift, but this was a completely different scenario. And she still saw me in that uniform, and, and it changed things, and it changed how she thought, so... I popped into the room and, and, and just stood there and watched for five seconds and grabbed a shirt and went back out to Sarah. Um, we we didn't know how long Flynn had been down. We're, we're guessing, you know, 15 minutes, maybe 20. Um, centrally cyanosed, you know, and not a lot of hope. Um so I changed my shirt and went back out. And, uh, you know, I I just knew everyone was doing everything they could, you know. And time was sort of ticking over and, you know, we're thinking, geez, what, you know, this is it, you know. And um, one of the managers grabbed me on the shoulder and said, we've got a pulse back. And that's when it it changed. You know, it changed from this is going to stop in my bedroom to a completely different story that I want to share. Um, it, it was so hard to get called to something as traumatic as that because I never thought I'd be called to my own house for a hanging. No. Um, I never thought my boy would even consider doing anything like that. And, you know, we're, we're of a strong opinion that my, my boy was just mucking around in the shower as a 12-year-old and didn't understand that if he put something around his neck and twisted, he would suffocate himself. And I think if he got a fright, he would have twisted one way and we would have been still standing here with him thinking... It's all great. But I believe he panicked and turned the wrong way, and by then it was too late. Um, there's no note. He handed in poetry that day, you know, like, and he hated poetry. So for us as a family, there was no warning signs. There was no inkling that he was sad. Um you know, this is a kid who's done a lot of family holidays and camping and plays soccer and plays on PlayStation, and he's a happy boy. So I think the initial shock of what was going on um, took everyone by surprise. Um, I think the initial shock of people turning up to my house, mm. they weren't going to a stranger's kid. Not going to mine. And that obviously took 
the guys broke away as well, you know, and, you know, too often we can turn off at times because we've got no other contact with these people. But when it's your mate's kid or someone that you know, it just changes the dynamics completely. Everything changes. It does, it does. Um, you all right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The funny thing is I've been wanting to share the story because even though how raw it is, there there are some bits in this that need to be told and, and it actually, I'm sitting here as a proud dad and knowing that this was an accident and knowing my son the way I do, um, I think it just creates a bit of clarity. Mm. Um, and, and, I, and I think telling all the bits, um, you tend not to focus just on the start because it starts shit. Like, you know, you can't write a horror movie like this. So, but it's part of the story. Um, and, and, and it's the initial thing that happened and there's lots of other things that we'll discuss shortly. Yeah, I think because um, you, you'd listened to a few of the other podcasts and, and sort of you weren't very aware of post-traumatic growth and, and that sort of resonated with you a little bit. It, it certainly did. Like this is a, you know, I don't think it gets any worse than this. No. Um, but I think for me... Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit um, shortly, but I've actually come back to work. Uh, my wife's back at work. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about my daughter shortly and, and, and what she's she's done. But we've now got to a point where we're taking steps forward and we've had time to process and time to actually just understand and be with each other. Um, yeah. and, and I'm normally, I'm not the person that, does this type of thing and put myself out there, but I think it's just too beneficial for people. Um, and obviously the Teal family, Jesus, when that gets right, you know, mm. we, we got messages and hugs and, and, and the support we got was absolutely amazing. We're all connected, aren't we? We're all one big family. We are. Um, and I think when one of us goes through something like this, it, we all affect it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, it, the, the message is... We're not immune, you know, and too often we go to others and this isn't another, it's one of us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, I think discussing it as a bloke as well um, might certainly helps me. Um, it makes me realise that the decisions we made and the process that we've gone through um, helps. Uh, it helps to, um, you know, we've all been trained with a clinical brain, okay, and we go to lots of trauma. Um, and I'm grateful for my work brain because my emotion brain was not there that night. Um, well, both my, any part of my brain wasn't there that night. But in the weeks and months to follow, I was able to actually um, process stuff in a way that um, I was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. 
and that's why I can I can sit here and say it's an accident, um, because I was able to go through it and understand who he is and um, get to a point that no, he didn't mean to hurt himself. It was just he was being dumb, and being twelve myself at one point, I know we do dumb things, and he just didn't understand that what he was doing could hurt him. Um, and and I think that's important because for a long time there I, I struggled with the word hanging and suicide because of my heart of hearts that that wasn't him. And the reason why I've gone to that is to explain what's gone on and how my boy died. I have to use those words because when I started to say he had an accident, I'd have other people go, oh, did he drown or was he electrocuted? And... No, no, no. So you end up um, having a hard but honest conversation. Um, and accidents do happen. And um, this was certainly the case for him. So, Troy, when you you got told he got a pulse back and and the process of, of going to the hospital, what what happened then? So we... Just just prior to that, when um, we got told that there was a pulse back, we, you know, you, you have a big breath out. Like, you think, geez, okay, game on, you know. What's this going to look like? So, obviously, Flynn was, um, oh, look, I live in a completely paramedic safe house with stairs going up into it, so Flynn was carried out. And um, it's funny how you remember little things and other mm. things are still a bit of a blur. Um, so we moved from home to, to hospital. And uh, that's an interesting thing in itself because for the last 15 years I've worked in that hospital. So there isn't a staff member in there that I don't know. My wife works at the hospital as an admin officer. So when we walked in, Flynn was in there a couple of minutes prior to us. And the look on people's faces when they realise that that's our boy. And once again, it goes back to this wasn't some stranger, you know. And and once again in that system too, they um, they worked their asses off and did what they needed to do. And uh, he had a pulse, he was tubed, and um, he was stable, as stable as he could be, um, and raced off for a CT head. And uh, we we were there and, um, you know, obviously we had the support of not just the paramedics but social workers and nuns and um, bed managers and you name it. And... Um, we did that whole patient thing of going into that patient interview room. And uh, you, we all know nothing's good when you go there. And uh, we, we were told quite clearly that um, Flynn had a, a serious hypoxic event and um, he probably wouldn't survive. And at that point, he, he was starting to cone, um, but he still kept his pulse, so... They, um, after that, and after sort of hearing that, we um, 
didn't really know what was going to be next, but we ended up being um, transferred and flown by chopper down to um, Brisbane Children's. So um, Flynn got moved from A&E to ICU um, because we weren't too sure how long it would take to, to get um, Chopper available. Um, and, and during this time, he, he, he hadn't changed. Um, but he still kept on with his pulse. So, you know, there was always that little aspect in the back of your head. But once again, we go into another department of the hospital and that's a department that I know reasonably well as well and we have that connection again. And um, so Sarah flew down to Brisbane with Flynn and I drove down with my mother. But it, at this point, I started to um, make some phone calls that you never want to make. So... At this point, my daughter was on the Gold Coast and had no idea of what's going on. We had family in Toowoomba, um, Sarah's sister and brother-in-law and mum are in Toowoomba. So I reached out to them and said, you need to start going to the Gold Coast to where Morgan is because Flynn's um, had an accident and he's may not survive and I need someone there for her. And it, it just flowed. Um, Sarah's sister went to Morgan I rang Morgan and uh, scared the shit out of her she knew something was up when I said is your flatmate there and she said yeah why is that I said I need to tell you something but I need someone else in the room with you and she goes you never talk like this what's going on and I, I realised I had my work voice on hmm. um because I, I I wasn't. You're I was, in survival mode. Yeah, and I and I was giving directions. I wasn't asking. You know, you need to do this. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and um, I knew I couldn't hug her. I, I wasn't there. But I needed her to be prepared for what what's about to happen. And um, and that's just horrible. You know, like I. I never want to make that phone call again. Um, but she she got it and she understood and um, she wanted to go to hospital right then and there and I said, you're not driving. I said, yeah, auntie's going to come and pick you up. And then by about midnight, he still haven't been flying out, so they're keen to get to the... And I said, I don't know which hospital yet, um, but I'll, I'll let you know. And, um, and then we um, teamed it all up and we all met at the uh, children's at about six um, six o'clock in the morning. Um, so um, we went down and started that one. So yeah, the next the next part of it. The next part of it, like it, it, it it's one of these stories that just keep on giving. Like uh, and and underlying all this, my boy's still fighting on and. You know, he 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 was fighting, and that's all we wanted. Um, so when we arrived at the um, children's hospital, they were absolutely fantastic. Well, every nurse, doctor, paramedic, anyone that was involved, 
were just fantastic. Um, we were never given any false hopes. Um, everyone was being very realistic with us. But as a family, you 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 want the light at the end of the tunnel, and um, when is when there is hope, you you think there's always a possibility. Um, but when we arrived at the children's hospital, they uh, they said to us that about lunchtime they'll do a cerebral perfusion scan. So they were going to look at what sort of blood supply Flynn had. And um, that was going to take a little bit of time, but there was not, not much to do. So we sat in his room and just watched him and all of us were together. So there was about... His um, cousins were there, so there were three cousins, auntie and uncle, um, and both grandparents. So a group of about ten of us, and uh, they supported us so well. Um, so about lunchtime, he's had the scan, and we go into a room together, and we invited everyone um, because we believe that Everyone needs to be part of decision-making and what's going on and, and be informed. And um, they showed us uh, a scan of a healthy brain and you can see the grey and black bits of the blood supply in the brain. And then they showed us Flynn. And from brainstem up, he was like a light bulb. There was no blood supply whatsoever. And at that point, he was... Um, classed as being brain dead. And then that pretty much meant that he would never, never leave hospital again. And that took the wind out of all of us and what hope we did have um, immediately was gone. Um, but what happened right there was something quite amazing. Um, My daughter raised um, a question about organ donation, and she led it. And from that point on, things changed completely. Um, and they said, certainly, like, you know, he's got a hypoxic brain injury, but there's no other trauma involved, so we can certainly look at other aspects that he can donate. And that completely changed our whole thinking of this is going to end right here to, hang on, there's something else that can happen. And it just changed the dynamics completely and still does now. Definitely. And Morgan, she was 17, wasn't she? So she was 17 at that time. and um, She's an amazing woman, that girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Proud dad moment. So we we had some time, um, and obviously we um, needed to fill out some forms and, and got asked a lot of questions in regards to Flynn and whether he's had any diseases or blood diseases and any surgeries and stuff like that. But one of the questions they asked us was, has he ever travelled overseas? And uh, four years ago we had a family holiday in America, and uh, so we mentioned that and I'm from New Zealand, so we went over for my sister's wedding and we took the kids to um, 
Vanuatu. And I forgot that we'd actually gone to China. And when we said all these things, the doctor asking us the questions turned around and said, you do realise this kid's 12? And we go, we do. We like travel, you know. And it's funny now that we we look back on those memories and they're great memories, you know. So we... We had to stay that night, so we had Ronald McDonald House and they made beds for all of us. And um, Sarah and I were able to stay at the hospital upstairs. But obviously once you've um, made a decision to assist with um, donation, um, that word goes around the hospital quite quickly. Um, and we've had contact with the social worker right throughout. And we were given uh, a memory box. So this is an organisation um, called Precious Memories. And you, you never know how good these things until you actually need them. And uh, so in the box there were two teddy bears, um, ways of making um, hand and footprints, lockets of hair, um, a candle, um, some literature on grief, and it's provided by other families that have lost a child. So when you open the lid of the box, it, there's a little blurb saying that this box has been given in memory of another child. My son's name's Flynn. The child that, or the family that donated, their child is Finn. And I thought, what the hell? Like, matchy-matchy much? Like, but one of the things they did was give us this can't-talk card. I remember you showing me this card. Do you mind reading it? I because read I it. can't. Yep, I can read it. This card reads, I can't talk card. This card has been handed to you because my child passed away and I'm finding it really difficult at the moment. I can't find the words right now to tell you this without being upset. I hope this explains my tears and my behaviour. What a, that's a really good idea. And you know what? When you need it and it's in your wallet, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, you don't have to explain anything. You just have to show a card. And I think when you are in that moment and things don't make sense and the words, words don't come out, for me, it's ideal. You know, like I'm I'm so out of my comfort zone at the moment, even just doing this, but I want to because there's some goodness that happened, you know, and people aren't going to know the goodness if I don't share it. So, so we, we, Morgan, obviously, the, the teddy bears didn't leave her side at all. And um, Sarah slept in, in Flynn's room. Morgan slept on a chair. And I was post-night shift. I'd been up 48 hours or something stupid. And, and I was crashing and burning, so I found a bed somewhere. Might just scoot forward a little into Sorry. That's better. Yep. And so the next day, um, Flynn had his surgery to donate his organs. 
So about 10 or 11 o'clock that morning, he went into surgery. Um, surgery was six and a half hours. So we um, were aware that after this, it was only going to be a viewing. So leading up to this for two days, Flynn was warm, he was pink, he was breathing, and he had a pulse even though he was tubed. And we weren't really prepared to let that one go. Um, and, and knowing that after his surgery, he wasn't going to be the way he was. So we got to spend a little bit of time with him and uh, played music and um, I think we read a Dr. Zeus book and uh, just spent some time. And then we we followed the bed down to the theater. And I think you know as a family you're doing the right thing when everyone around you is losing their shit. You know, we had the social worker, we had the head doctor. They're all in tears. I had Morgan yelling at him to wake up. And we know he wasn't going to. And we knew that after this, he wouldn't be, not, not that he wouldn't be the same. It's almost like you had a timeline and you knew someone was going to die. Because at this point, after that, he, wouldn't, he wasn't going to have a pulse again. And to get your head around that, even though the beauty of donating your organs, um, you still had to have that realisation that this is it. You know, all hope's lost. He's not going to survive and he's not going to be alive after the surgery. So we did everything. Uh, we did what any good family would do is we went to the pub and we had lunch and we drank beer and we shared stories. But on the way walking down there, um, knowing that Flynn was having a surgery, I literally grabbed my nephew and said to him, if you ever feel like you can't talk and you don't talk to me, I said, I will absolutely hurt you because I can't do this twice. Because... You know, I, I, I struggle with these young boys who hurt themselves. And I struggled at that point to fully comprehend what was actually going on. I was still on a roller coaster ride myself and grateful to have family around us. But it was tough. Like, you know, we're making some pretty bold decisions and, and doing it reasonably rapidly and yeah, it, it just, it was hard. Um, but we got to share um, our stories and our memories and, and it was it was nice to change the tone. And um, So if anyone does know me, I, I don't mind a joke or a laugh. So when we actually were talking about organ donation, um, and they were talking about some of the things that they could donate, like heart, lungs, kidneys, pancreas, liver. They do skin grafts as well for burn victims and also 
um, some other tissues as well. Me being me, I sat there and asked if they do toe transplants. And my whole family just cracked up laughing. And I forgot I was wearing shoes. So I'm actually missing three toes on my right foot. And that's been a bit of a family joke for many, many years. But the punchline was lost when you're wearing shoes and the doctor looks at you as if you're some weirdo. Um, but we had a lot of humour throughout that time. Um, we were able to see the funny side of some things and just be, you know, and and, and that was good. It, it cleared the air and, and it made us human again, if that makes sense. It does. Um, so after going to the pub, we um, we went back to 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 view Flynn. Sorry, there there is a little aspect prior to that. Um, leading up to his surgery, um, we had a nurse that's tied up with the organ donation, and. Flynn was transported nude. He was nude in the shower, nude at hospital. And when I went to come down to Brisbane, I didn't pack him close. And then we thought, hang on, we need to have a viewing here. And um, we didn't have any clothing. And this nurse um, went home that night or in the afternoon and came back to us. And she came back with three shirts of her sons. And she told Flynn's stories to her son. And he wanted to share his shirts with my boy. There are some really kind, honest people out there. And it's not until you do something like this that you actually realise that people do mean well. Um, and, and, you know, Flynn was wearing one of those shirts because uh, it, it just fitted. It was something that was nice, you know. Um, so when we went to, to view Flynn, um, we were able to be told about his organs because they didn't know prior to surgery what they would or could use. So we we went there and, and we were told beforehand that because he's 12 that they, they might not use his heart as, as a whole heart. Um, they might just use um, some valves and, and different parts of the heart, and, and we were okay for either. So before we went and saw Flynn, um, we're in a room, and they said, well, we need to share with you what parts of Flynn have uh, been donated. And we're going, cool. So Flynn donated two kidneys that went to two separate women, he donated uh, a liver that went to another woman and she left hospital within five days post-surgery. Um, his corneas were going to be used for sight prior, after our viewing. So, And we were going to do skin grafts off his back for um, burn victims, but my boy was about 15 kg too light, so he wasn't fat enough like his dad. <laughs> And um, th another lady was going to get his um, pancreas, um, but she was too sick to have the surgery. 
And then they told us that they had a young girl who got a double lung heart transplant. So for us, that was absolutely amazing. And we immediately sort of thought he lives on, you know. And this just doesn't just stop right now. And, you know, there's a lot of pride in being able to do that. Um, We found out afterwards that organ donation for paediatrics only at 8%. You know, and and I understand why, and I understand that it's a a very personal choice. But I'm a paramedic. My wife works in a hospital, and then we've got Morgan. Now, Morgan was on the Gold Coast training to be a physio, and then four weeks after that, Flynn had his accident, and we're there in the children's hospital with my daughter and she said to me these nurses are amazing I said look they are fantastic like everyone we had contact with were fantastic but Flynn by this stage leading up to his surgery um, his sugar started to play up his temperature started to spike um, and they were assisting with multiple medications too find that sweet spot and they did and he fought and they found the sweet spot but Morgan was watching these nurses in a way that she was intrigued about the way they worked and the emotion that they work with because obviously dealing with with us and our family um, it was a highly emotive room at times and you know they were part of that as well um, and they assisted us through that, not just with social workers, but they answered our questions and made us comfortable, you know. Um, to a point now that my daughter has started nursing. Would she be a nurse after what happened to Flynn? I don't know. But something happened at that point to make her think, I could do this. And she's doing it, and she's doing well. So, really proud. Yeah. As I said, she's an amazing woman. She certainly is. You you doing okay? (laughs) I think we need some tissues up in here. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I might grab them for you. No, I'm good. You're right. I might need them, jeez. So, the next bit that we... um, Left down here is the next sequential step. Yeah. Which is the funeral. Yeah. Um so we 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 came home and uh I think the big thing for Sarah and me was to can we walk through our front door again? Because for us that was a very emotive, stressful, crazy time. And uh, once again, my beautiful daughter uh, quite clearly said to us that both kids came back here and this is my happy place. And it was, and it still is. So that made that step through that door that much easier. And uh, over the next few days, we, we started to 
plan for a funeral that we weren't expecting. Um, but in doing so, the the Teal family bonded. The messages, the support, the everything was starting to come in. Our house looked like a florist for about two weeks. We had people delivering food, um, mates just turning up for seeing how we're going and having a social drink. Um, so we, we we planned this funeral and one of the things that stands out for me was picking photos. You know, what photo do you use? What photo don't you use? Every photo has a memory. And to know that there won't be another photo to be added. It, it was a gut-wrenching exercise, but it showed us as a family who we really are, you know, and, and what we've done as a family. And, and once again, I'm quite proud that we made the effort to do those things, to travel, to go camping, so we did that, and, and you know, we um, the other issue we had at the time was um, there was a bit of COVID floating around the place, so I think funerals were down to 150, and uh, as a family, we thought which one of Flynn's school friends misses out, or who do we invite or not invite to a funeral, and at this stage, we didn't quite understand the impact of Flynn because we're still living it. I'm just going to go back a little bit. Um, in between the funeral, we had to go to the police and do a statement. Over the last 15 years, I've done plenty of police statements, but this is the first police statement I've ever done, not in uniform. Mm. And that was shit. You know, and, and it's not that anyone did anything wrong. I just wasn't wearing my uniform. And I think we feel protected by what we wear at times. And I, it was just so strange. Um, but while I was there, I, I was discussing, um, you know, funeral arrangements and inviting the police because the police were there that night. And, uh, they were, they were really good. Like they they made it very clear to us that there wasn't going to be a person counting numbers. You know, this is your son's funeral, and we want to be part of that. So we'll we'll do what we need to do to make it happen. So we did his funeral on a Sunday, and we we had it in a botanical garden at a, a chapel there, and it was absolutely beautiful. Um, but we didn't really understand how many people he touched. And we still, as a family, struggle with that a little bit. They closed the street, didn't they? Well... Shut off a bit of it. They shut off a bit of it, I think. Um, it was over 300 people. It was huge. It was massive. But that might lead on to, to Morgan. Yeah. So, um, Troy... Troy, I, I can remember it now. Troy's daughter was so brave and um, 
she made a speech and uh we Troy wanted to play it. So um we're gonna share that speech with you guys. There's a lot of people. <laughs> um excuse the phone. I did not have time to remember this off by heart. And if I stumble I do apologize. I'm sure you guys will follow along. Sometimes I still wonder if we're all just dreaming. If in a split second, I will wake up next to you because we decided to have a sleepover last night. Sometimes I forget that you're gone. I wait to hear your laugh, but it never comes. And people will tell me that it stops hurting, but it doesn't. I'm still at the hospital. I'm still wait walking down the hallway after you screaming at you to wake up. I pitch myself every morning, hoping one day it'll work, hoping one day I'll wake up too. I know I won't, and that's forever gonna hurt. I think this is a dream, because you were so good, so beautifully, wonderfully, stupidly good. <laughs> you were the toddler that thought he could break dance, the brother whose punches had only just started to hurt when he finally punched back. And the boy with so many jokes that I would cry from laughter. Mum will always say that you are my biggest fan, but let me tell you this, I am yours. Maybe I didn't say it enough, and maybe I said it too much, but oh my god I love you. There is not a moment that I haven't wished you were here, there is not a thing that I wouldn't give up for you to be here, to trade places, to bring you back to see you one more time, chase you around the house one more time, watch you smile just once, blink or breathe or hear your heartbeat just one more minute, second or moment, I would do anything. But enough of that, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. I'll also tell you about all the things we've done since you left. I'll tell you about the good people with hearts of steel and gold who lift me up every day, bang their shields every morning refusing to let grief, loss, fear and exhaustion stop me, who dragged me kicking and screaming to a place where I smile again. Mum and Dad, thank you for all that you do. Oh, Bridie, Aunt, Salem, Serene, Nathaniel, Blair, Brady, Zoe, oh god I could go on, there's a long list. <laughs> you are my people. I choose you over and over again. And I know Flynn would have been proud that I had friends like you. He loved you guys just as much as I did. To John and Susie. I can't thank you enough. Without your sacrifice and effort, I would never have been able to hold him one more time. To every single first responder. On the scene. At comms. At homes with your family. You are my inspiration. Your role in society goes so unnoticed until a tragedy like this. Flynn knew how special you guys were before he could even say ambulance, instead opting for the classic wee wee. <laughs> Without everyone's effort, Flynn wouldn't have been able to give up his organs to people across Australia. He is a superman saving lives because you helped him. On the worst day of my life, someone's world became golden. 
and I'm forever grateful for that. Flynn, I love you so much. <laughs> and when I walk through the front door to tell you about the years I filled with love and laughter, I know fighting to find the good will be worth it. Choosing to see how lucky we are will be worth it. So just hang in there, bud. Two seconds. I know that's all it will feel for you. Mum and Dad will be there in one. Just wait one more for me. I'll see you in two seconds. Finally, as a reminder to us all, especially to our family, here's a short quote from Dr. Zeus. Thank goodness for all of the things you are not. Thank goodness you are not something someone forgot and left all alone in some punkerish place, like a rusty coat hanger hanging in space. That's why I say, Ducky, don't grumble, don't stoop. Some critters are much, much, oh, ever so much, much, so muchly, much, much more unlucky than you. <laughs> Goodness me. <clears throat> what a daughter. Yep. Might, might keep that one. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, do you need a minute? No. Look, the reason I wanted to play that, this was something she did alone. Uh, we didn't help her at all. And she said everything I wanted to say but couldn't. Mm-hmm. And she did it in a way that you just got it. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. You just got it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, um, <laughs> so, luckily, we've written down <laughs> a sequence of where we're going to go now. Um, and she's so right. And she says that what we do is... You know, a lot of the time it goes unnoticed and um, we 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 play such a huge role in people's lives every day and I think until it it touches you, you I guess we forget the impact that we have. I think what happened with this was this wasn't just my family's worst nightmare. This was every nurse, every policeman, every doctor every fiery and every ambo to go to your own home and to have something like this happen. Um, it's our nightmare. And, you know, we, we don't expect it, but it doesn't just happen to other people. Mm. And unfortunately, it happened to me. You know, and I'm, I'm wanting to share this and the fact that we can't be naive. We, we can't presume that something won't happen to us um, or someone close to us. Um, and I think we need to look after each other. Um, and I have had so much support. Um, and, and throughout that support, it's made my transition back to work a little bit easier. Um, 
don't get me wrong, um, there's going to be jobs that push my buttons. So prior to coming back to work, um, I obviously took some time off. Um, but I also visited the hospital and went into recess and into ICU because I needed to know, can I handle that environment? You know, can my brain actually work? Because if it can't and it's a, a something that won't, it's going to make it very hard for me to come back to work. And I found that that was a room. It wasn't Flynn's room. Um, it was a room in a hospital. And that's where people go where they're sick. So I was able to process that in a way that um, his memory wasn't there. Um, Did you it, go there alone? Were you on your own when you went there? Yeah. Because I was testing, I wasn't alone. Like there were obviously hospital staff. No, but did you? What did you turn up there on your own? Yeah. Far out. But this is something that I needed to do myself yeah. because I've had to have a real tough decision on myself about work after this, mm. and and am I able to? Um, I certainly am very aware that what happened to us can, you know, end your career. Um, it can break your marriage. You know, it can be absolutely devastating. Um, and I wanted to test the water a little bit. Um, and I, and there was a part of me that wanted to see the nurses that supported Flynn and us as a family because sometimes we spend as much time at the hospital as we do out on the road. So you bond with these people and have a have a relationship with them, and uh, yeah, and there was part of me wanting to let them know that I was okay. Um, that would have had a huge impact on them, I think. Well, I, knowing I, that you were okay would have on me. Yeah, like it, it's it's a tough one because you know I say I'm okay, but that's right now, today. Yeah. And tomorrow's a different day. Mm. You know, and we're still battling grief. Like, there's nothing quite like an 18-year-old daughter coming home from work saying, how's your day? And she responses, my brother's dead. And that's how she's feeling on that day. And as a family with us three, we are still deciphering and still trying to find a new norm, but we're still having bad days, you know. Like an example of this is I did my first night shift on Monday. And for me, it was the first night shift prior to Flynn's accident. And it was a normal shift and nothing really stood out. But my wife phoned me at 10 o'clock at night, absolutely in tears. And me being a bloke, and some blokes might relate to this, and I said to her, what's wrong? And she said, the last time you went on night shift, your son died. And I never thought of night shift like that, you know, because for me it was, I do days, I do nights, you know. But to hear that, I got it. I understood it. And that's where Sarah was 
on that night. And it comes in waves. You know, there's, there's days where you actually do feel okay and you can socialise and you go out with your mates and you have a good time. There's days just getting out of bed's a struggle. Um, but we're all three of us are back at work. Um, like I said before, Morgan's studying and working a part-time job. Sarah's back at the hospital and I started back at work about three weeks ago. I remember you telling me about your first day. Do you want to talk us through your first day? Just the Monday that you returned to work. Look, my, my first day, um, it's funny because I feel like I need to, uh, I feel like I'm a green paramedic again and needs to challenge myself because I certainly understand now that a lot of what we do is emotive and I know that going to a hanging will be a tester for me, but it's not just that, it's going to another 12-year-old for whatever reason. Am I able to actually process that? So it's not as simple as it sounds because of the nature of the work we do. I can't give comms a list and go, hey, I don't feel like doing that today. Um, and, and, and on that, I need to make it really clear. Comms sending me home to that job, they had no idea where I live. We were the only available crew at the time. So there was no, from my behalf, there's no guilt about that whatsoever. And if they didn't send me and they sent someone else, I would have been there as quick as the next car anyway because I would have heard the address on the radio. Because a lot of my friends that aren't paramedics are horrified that I was sent to my son. I know comps. They have no idea where I live. They needed to send that job to a crew. It happened to be me. Um, you know, and, and guilt. You know, I am a proud dad. Sarah's proud. You know, Morgan's proud of her brother. But over the last few months, as a parent and your son passing away, you analyse everything. You know, there's times when Sarah thinks, should I check on them earlier? And that's her guilt. I have the guilt of, I'm a trained paramedic that didn't actively work on his son. But I'm actually pleased I didn't, because I think if I actually did that, I think transition back to work would be very, very difficult. I did work that night. I supported my wife. And the team that went in my house to work on my son, there's no guilt about what they did or didn't do. They got a pulse back. You know, just the numbers alone of trying to get that to happen with someone who's possibly been down for that length of time, and during that time, there was not one radio call for Harvey Bay in that 45 minutes that they were there working on Flynn. It's unheard of. Absolute radio silence. Mm. So 
you know, this story has legs and there's lots of things happening for a lot of different people. Um, but like I said with the funeral, we, we didn't expect the numbers that we got. We didn't expect Flynn to have the impact that he's had, not just on us, but the school, um, my work colleagues, um, and everyone, you know, like this, this hit home for a lot of people. Um, and, and I, I think, you know, you, you don't think like that because you're so focused on other things that you don't even notice numbers in a crowd. Um, but it's not until afterwards when you process some of that stuff. Um, but we're, we're immensely proud of, of what we did. Um, we're proud, certainly proud of, of donating his organs because we feel, I feel, that was the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, it, it could have ended in my bedroom, but it didn't. Um, Morgan got to hug him. My um, brother and sister-in-law got to spend time with him. The whole picture and dynamics of this could have been completely different if he didn't fight and he fought. And it's funny as a dad, like I, you know, there's times when part of me wishes he was hit by a car on his bike so I could get angry at that guy and blame someone. And you can't blame your 12-year-old. He just did something stupid. So that whole... Oh, that, that, that whole process of being able to blame something else, it's difficult because in this situation, we can't, or I can't. And he was too funny for me to to not be proud of him. Um, and, and, and I think it's forced me to understand what went on and forced me to look at myself. Um, you know, as parents, you, what did we do wrong? What did we miss? Was he really that sad? And through all that searching, uh, I can't pinpoint it. And, and I can't bloody ask the little shit. But with, I've come to a conclusion um, that it was just misadventure. He didn't understand what he was doing. And I wish he scared himself enough that he would have stopped. But that wasn't the case. Um... And it's tough as a, as a as a dad to know that I, you know, I was looking forward to taking him to rugby games and, you know, this future that we had. And to know that that's never going to be the same. But I think he'd be proud of us and how we support each other.
and how we're taking our steps. Um, he only knew me as a paramedic. My whole career, you know, as Morgan said of the speech, the woo-woo, you know. So, but in saying that, if it was too hard and I couldn't mentally do it, I wouldn't be doing it. There'd be no way I'd be putting a uniform on if I mentally couldn't do the job. Because at the end of the day, after doing this, it's a job. It's a job I enjoy, but it's also a job I'd walk away from if I couldn't do it to the best of my ability, and it was going to be harmful to me. Um, I'm loving being back around the cruise. I'm loving having that banter again, that social contact. Um, and, and I actually still get a kick out of what we do. I think it's an amazing job. Bloody tough. Uh, not for everyone, but yeah. And then that's why I'm back. Um, there was only so much rum I could drink, so. You're one of us. Yeah. I'm happy to have you back. So, um, I think one thing that uh, we did want to talk about is, is uh, I guess, organ donation is a huge thing. And I, I wanted to see if we could get that that um, uh, gentleman in to, to have a chat to us. But it's quite, you said it's not too difficult, um, you know, and I think the conversation is is difficult. But I think if, if there's something that I can tell our listeners right now, it's if this is something that you would consider and something that you feel speaks to you and your family, then have a conversation about it and, and organize it now. I think you can go to Donate Life. Yes. Um, and I, I'll, um, I'll get it on my phone right now and we'll have a little look at it. The process with you, Troy, you said was quite, quite, was it, was it quick? I, I think for us as a family, um, once we figured out that Flynn wasn't going to survive and Morgan raised the um, uh, issue of donation, um, we, we, it was like a light bulb moment for us of, hey, there, there could be something really positive out of this. So here, I've just logged, like, hopped on on my phone, and you literally just cl click join the register. All you need is your Medicare card number and a reference number, your first name, last name, date of birth, and uh, you submit it. It, it. Look, it's very simple like that. And, and I find for us that wasn't that simple. We were, we were in a world that we weren't expecting and to actually donate as organs has made something very positive out of something that was absolutely horrendous. Mm -hmm. And it's something we hold on to dearly, uh, something that all three of us are very, very proud of. Mm. And it changes it. You know, it changes from something that could have ended in my bedroom to something that I'm more than happy to share because his heart's still beating somewhere. He gave life to people. Certainly did. Mm. And and just that alone is 
it changes your scope. It changes how you think. Um, and, and, you know, it is a personal conversation, and I understand that. And partly the reason why I'm talking today is if you want to use my story as a starting point for a conversation around your kitchen table or in your household, go for it because I think it's it's so beneficial. Mm. And it's a conversation to have in an environment that's not the environment that you had. No, no. Pref- preferably. <laughs> I certainly hope so. So Troy got this... Can I talk about your tattoo? Yeah, certainly. He got this beautiful tattoo on his arm. Do you want to explain what it is? It's absolutely gorgeous. So I've got a anatomical heart tattooed on my forearm with Flynn's ECG around my whole forearm. It's beautiful. I have a number of tattoos, but this one um, is quite ironic because you actually wear your heart on your sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I needed something, I felt like I needed something to um, pay tribute, and that's how proud I am. And this just fitted, and it suits. And, and I, the, the one thing about it I wasn't expecting, it's a conversation starter again. Yeah. People notice a tattoo and go, oh, that must mean something. Ah, yeah, it does. And when you tell them the story, um, it's got a powerful meaning. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a, a reminder to me that you can wear your heart on your sleeve. <laughs> yeah. Not quite the same. No. I've got a tiny little heart on my, <laughs> my wrist, but, um, wow, what a story. So uh, I know you don't like me saying this, but you're incredibly brave for coming on. And I'm, as a friend and as a colleague, I'm very very proud of you and your family with how far you've come and and every day you're just doing your best and you guys have done incredible things and coming back to work oh I'm just I think that's really admirable and I know that you don't like these words but I'm going to give you a little bit of praise because you deserve it and you know I I mean I I'm proud to call you a, a friend and a colleague and I mean, I hope that this story has helped other paramedics who have struggled or wondered how they could get through the darkness because you're a a light to a lot of people, Troy, even if you don't see it. And, you know, I I think what you've you've done and what your family have done and how you've given life and, yeah, it's I can't even find the right words. But uh, I I find it a little bit different than that and the fact that for me to tell the whole story, it has a start, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And the start and the middle are pretty shitty. Um, but we need to get to the end to have that little cherry on top and to talk about organ donation and, and to remind people that that can change the way you see something at, such as death. Yep. And for me personally... Um, it's and it's allowed me to accept it a bit better because the alternative is quite dark um and you know when you talk when i talk about it it's it's a hey look at this this is great you know and 
I'm not focusing on the starter or the middle. I, I, I'm aware of it, but I really am quite proud of the organ donation. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add or say to any paramedic who's I, struggled through something dark? or? I think all I can say is this is me being honest and this is my story. And it's pretty horrific, but um, every story is going to be different. And it doesn't have to be as as traumatic as this to affect you. Um, I was one of these paramedics that, you know, travelled for 13 years before I saw a psychologist. Mm. Because I, I didn't need to. Well, you do something like this, you need to. You need help. And not just from your mates. You need professional help. And and what it did for me, it clarified that the way I package things, the way I deal with things is appropriate and normal and I'm okay. And I think just being told by someone that you're okay and what you're doing is good um, strengthens that. Um but it also may highlight when you're not okay. Um, and I, please, I didn't want to do this to wave a flag or be a front person at all, but I think this story has the ability to connect with people and to allow people that, that starting point to start a conversation. Yes. So that was what I was driven about um, I've been wanting to share this story um, I have family overseas I have um, lots of people around that know us and this is a great base for me to do that um, and I think it's it's too good not to share yeah we did it <laughs> we did it. Well, thank you so much, Joy, for coming in. And I know this was huge. And uh, I hope our listeners got got those beautiful points at the end about organ donation and about managing your mental health and how something quite traumatic can turn into something that you can view differently and you can grow from it and, and find some kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? Peace. Peace. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, hopefully you've, you've taken a little bit of something away from this. If, if you do ever need to talk to somebody, don't ever feel like talking is bad. Talking is something that everybody needs to do more and you don't need to be at breaking point to start the conversation. So please reach out to me personally. I don't mind. Or... A paramedic colleague or if you're not a paramedic just a friend family member anybody but don't walk it alone because you're never alone there's always someone who can walk with you all right thank you very much see you guys <laughs>